Welcome to the JMS Podcast. My name is Jorge M. Sanchez, and thank you for listening in. If you this is your first time listening in, I can't thank you enough. And if you've been listening and following this podcast, thank you once again for tuning in, and, and, and I can't thank you enough either. We have a great guest, a fellow poet from San Jose, David Perez, and we had a remarkable discussion about so many topics. I'm very excited for you guys to really listen to this uh, podcast episode. And uh, uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the discussion, I walked him out to his car and I just had to hug him. You know, he, he's that kind of person who has uh, a deep understanding or and, and, and oozes out inspiration. I was like, man, let me just give you a hug. And we hugged it out at the parking lot. Was not awkward at all, at least not from my side. And uh, had a great talk. So, uh, but before I continue on with that, uh, an amazing thing happened to me on Friday night. Friday night... Uh, was the uh, art walk in downtown and I, I was around and, 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 but eventually I went over to Johnny V's which is a, a music venue uh, down the street on 1st and Santa Clara and uh, you know watch a couple friends play some music and it, I think I got out of there until well past 11pm and I parked my car and the southern side of downtown San Jose. So I had a, quite a walk to go. And I was walking down, I was passing through the art walk, and by this time, the art walk uh, was already done, and people were just packing up. And you know what? I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoy walking after a festival of any kind and just watching people working and putting stuff back to their cars or, or just uh, removing canvases and just watching people at work. After a long day, I find very fascinating to just walk on by and observe them. It, there's almost like a human element. It's very magical. And I was just walking by while everybody was packing up. And that's where I met uh, Francisco Ramirez. Francisco Ramirez is an artist, a painter. He's been a guest on this podcast. And me and him, we develop a, a pretty cool friendship even after the podcast episode. Uh, he was actually an actor in the recent episode of my web series who's on the on the third episode and we've talked about so many great things and he's an amazing human being and this particular night he was just there with the painting and he looked very tired and it was a huge painting and it was an amazing painting of a bear with a bunch of gears and I almost didn't recognize him I had to double check is that Francisco oh, yeah it is so I went over and I was like hey man how you been Cause all oh, he's doing all right. Uh, he just finished a life painting for the art walk, and he's just, he, he just ready to go home. And then he goes, "Hey Jorge, keep this painting." And I jokingly was like, "Oh yeah, sure, I'll take it." He goes, "No, seriously, take it." And I looked at it, and it's an exquisite piece of art, and a huge canvas. Then it hit me, no, I, I can't take this, not for free, you know, give me a price tag. He goes, no, Jorge, you, you, you've done, you're pretty cool, and I want you to keep this. And eventually, you know, by this time I'm walking down, we're talking, and I'm like, uh, is he really giving this to me? Like, uh, and b before I knew it, you know, we, we shook goodbye, and I just saw him walk away by himself near midnight a tired lonely artist 
and there I just stood there with the painting he just gave me. And it, it felt so surreal. Like, I almost couldn't believe what was happening. Because it's much more that he gave me a piece of something. It's, he gave me something from his imagination. He drew, he painted this. And the hours that he must have spent on it must have taken the entire art walk. And I was just like, Matt, he just gave a piece of him that he just created to me for free. And a part of me is like, oh my God, I wish I had cash on me to just give him anything. But then again, he seemed like he didn't want to get paid for it. He just wanted to give it some someone. And I'm lucky enough to, I guess, you know, meet him at that moment. And he gave it to me and it's sitting right across from me as I'm speaking this beautiful painting of a bear with gears and this painting means much more than just a painting to me now because a friend gave it to me and he gave it to me from his heart and that means a lot so Francisco Ramirez thank you so much I adore this painting um, it's gonna be hanging here in the studio I'll tell you that and uh, people out there check out our episode we had a great talk me and him and continue uh, checking him out on Facebook. And and he, he's really collaborating with other artists here in San Jose. And he is very talented. So, that being said, thank you again. And thank you to all the guests that have come on and who are still tuning in. Uh, you guys, just coming on and talking with me is already a lot. And this podcast will not be existing in the format that it is if it wasn't for you people. Yeah. It was a very beautiful moment. Then a guy passed by uh, long after Francisco Ramirez walked away under the stars. And he goes, hey, man, that's a nice painting. Uh, how much you want it for? And I go, man, I can't put a price on this painting. And I walked away with it. Fucking A, right? Fucking A. All right. David Perez, he is a poet, and he has written a book that you guys all should check out. He gave me a copy of it. It's called Love in a Time of a of Robot Apocalypse, and it's available on Amazon. Uh, he gave it to me. I read a couple of, the, of his poetry, and man, this guy is the real thing when it comes to poem, poetry. I mean, almost... Actually, all of his poems that I've read are amazing, and I can't say enough. I I think he's one of these things you got to check out for yourself. So when you get a chance, when you're on Amazon, check out his book by uh, David Perez, Love in a Time of Robot Apocalypse. And, uh, God, I, I feel lucky that such a human being exists in my community. On top of that, he actually came here and he sat down across from me and we talked it out. So we had a great discussion. Um... Before we continue that, though, please follow JMS Podcast if you're not already. You could follow the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes. And you know what? Follow the podcast on social media as well. Uh, because if you're following the podcast on Facebook, JMS Podcast, I will be sending posting these links to his books and pictures, of course. You could also follow JMS Podcast on Twitter, and you could follow this podcast on Instagram. It's all there, people. And if you don't have, if you have an opportunity, please check out JMSPodcast.com, the official website of JMS Podcast. 
Uh, there's lots of content you guys can check out. And it's growing. I mean, uh, new features are being up there on a monthly basis. And of course, all this is operated by me alone. So it takes me a while to really develop more content. But bear with me. This podcast is growing and I could not have done it if it wasn't for the guests that come on. And I could not have done it for people who are listening. And, and really, once in a while, sending me a, a very supportive email at jmspodcast at gmail.com. And if you like this podcast, you can definitely donate. There is a GoFundMe account and there's also a Patreon account. It's all available on the website. So when you get a chance, check out jmspodcast.com. And if you really dig what I'm doing and, if, and uh, you can help me expand this podcast by donating. And the money will go directly to maintenance of the equipment. And if there's any spare, I'm definitely going to invest it in higher quality productions of the other content. All right, without much further ado, let's go with our conversation with David Perez. David Perez, I heard a lot about you. Uh, oh, yeah? We have a mutual friend, <clears throat> Mighty Mike McGee. Indeed. Like he, he would mention your name every once in a while. I'm like, David Perez. And I, I always figure it was his roommate because his roommate last name is Perez too. Yeah, no, I pay him. I pay yeah. Mike McGee uh, <laughs> monthly fee to mention my name uh, right? in public. He's like yeah. a walking advertisement for he you. He is, huh? yeah. He's not cheap either. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we met quickly at the, uh, was it the Sofa Festival? Uh, yeah, it was the, um, the Sofa Street Market. Uh, First Friday Street Market, which is one of my favorite events ever in uh, downtown San Jose. Yeah, yeah, and and you were had some. Actually, that, that's why I wanted to go see you because uh, Mighty McGee again mentioned you. He goes, mm-hmm. Ah, he does films. You should meet him. So he'll like, yeah. be here at this time. I'm like, all right. And I met you, and you were you were showcasing uh, poetry films. Poetry films, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that the genre called poetry films? I'm sure. I, th- uh, I think you said so. It. Video poetry. Um, I kind of like the term media poetry because then it expands. It really expands out into animation and um, basically anything that you can put on a on a screen. Um, yeah. So yeah, media poetry, video poetry, uh, motion poems. Uh, what, so one of the best sources um, and one of the most well known sources for uh for for media poetry is actually a site called uh motion poems um and it's curated by uh now that i'm in front of a mic i'm gonna forget the guy's name todd boss todd boss todd boss a poet good poet named uh todd boss uh he does uh video poetry and he sort of uh curates this this uh pretty pretty solid website called uh motion poems and there are some great uh video poems um, on there, and so um, if anyone is interested in checking out more, they can they can check that out. Um, but uh, but yeah, I was there. I got a grant from the um, San Jose Downtown Association mm-hmm. to um, some folks over there um, were they apparently they were fans of my poetry, um, and uh, you know they had seen some stuff that I had done in the community through being the um, the the Santa Clara County Poet Laureate um, from. 2014 to 2016 and uh they so sorry to interrupt how, how does that work to be a poet laureate i'm, I'm still a little ignorant when it comes to to that mm. uh, so, and, and for those listening in who who are not well in tune with the poetry scene here in san jose wh- what does it mean when they say you are a either santa clara county laureate 
Uh, some say they're they're a city laureate. Yeah. So um, so cities, counties, countries all over the world have a poet laureate. There is a there's a U, there's a U.S. poet laureate. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's poet laureates, like a lot of, a lot of countries have like a national poet laureate and that's the person who like, when there's a presidential inauguration, for example, they, they compose and read a poem at the inauguration. Like when there's sort of major sort of, uh, state events, they are sort of the, not like the single voice behind that event, but they, they contribute artwork, they contribute verse. Um, to sort of commemorate um, sort of, you know, milestones or important events. Um, and the same thing sort of happens at, let's say, like the city or the county level. Um, and so uh, a poet laureate is basically just someone who, um, you know, who makes poetry more available and accessible to the people in general. Uh, poetry, literature, but I think especially poetry, can be this thing that is only sort of shared or explored in like these tiny enclaves of of people, which of course it wasn't always like that. Mm-hmm. And the poet laureate tradition extends to a time where, you know, in the past where people would just read poetry just kind of as a matter of course. It was just normal, right? you know, to be... It was to, very to, similar to... have to, poetry be yeah. in your life in the way that music was just part of your life, you know? Or television. Or, yeah, or, yeah, or po- TV. It was like poetry before, was a place was not just you know a sense of expression was entertainment it was comedy it was storytelling all in one yeah Yeah. all throughout history yeah i mean once upon a time you had you had poems that were you know novel length right you had Mm -hmm. the iliad you had the odyssey you had um you know shakespeare's like the rape of lucrece stuff like that that's like that's you don't have tv so you either write letters or read novels or read long poems or read a whole bunch of short poems and it was just like that's your that's your entertainment that's your engagement that's you know that's that's what you do um and so the poet laureate comes out of course comes out of that 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 tradition and that reality now nowadays it's sort of changed i i think it's changed um shape a little bit and it's now like i said it's kind of about now that um, you know, people don't necessarily engage with poetry in general as a matter of course in their daily lives. The poet laureate is sort of, sort of someone who's there to sort of um, carry the torch, you know. Okay. Um, and so, for example, Santa, if the Santa Clara County laureate will hold events, readings, um, will do like the invocation at like when the mayor of of a of, of a city within the county is inaugurated the the poet laureate would be available to do to like compose a short piece and do like an invocation mm-hmm. sometimes at the the um the county board of supervisors meetings like local government meetings they'll ask the current laureate to compose something and so and, y- uh, yeah. you're definitely a so- being a poet laureate you are a source of influence not just uh, in the poet community but in, in the community in general we have a huge amount of political influence. Uh, it's really quite amazing. That's a joke. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll try to figure it out. No, no, no. Um, we don't. I mean, like, it was just. Uh, well, well, as you it, mentioned, they turn to you for for some answers or or, or some uh, views on things. Yeah, the I I I would say, um, you know, I made my little joke about us having political influence, which we have none. Um, but uh, they turn to us 
for a for a way of I think seeing the community mm-hmm. and the issues facing it that sort of only the arts can provide and poetry just happens to be conducive to to these kinds of events these county meetings these inaugurations because it can be it, it can it can say a lot in a short amount of time oh, okay you know and so like for example when I was asked to do an, an, an invocation I I naturally sort of gravitated to the issues that concern me uh, income inequality and um, homelessness and um, you know gentrification and the housing crisis you know these are these are things that are that are I think are really important in the South Bay and so I, I wrote a number of pieces that that touched on those issues and that's what I would read mm. um, yeah and the way I'm, the reason why I'm really fascinating is here is, is a pretty prestigious title you know poet laureate and, and I've always wondered people in that position like especially when you're in the arts where it's so subjective and now you now it seems like you have some influence and I get nervous when I'm in a position of authority over the arts so I wonder how people who have been there and their experiences how they've been and do you felt a little pressure when you were the poet laureate of um, I definitely felt a responsibility that I didn't necessarily feel before before as an artist when it was just me doing my work doing whatever uh, I, I didn't I didn't feel like I represented anyone other than myself and when you are in a position like being a laureate and having you know eyes on you in that way um, I think it is important to consider the community and the needs of the community um, in the things that you do mm-hmm. um, which is not to say that I necessarily censored myself I mean I would be invited to these to these meetings you know and I would be writing uh, poems about income inequality and so, you know, which I, which I'm sure, you know, may, maybe, maybe not everyone there agreed with, with, you know, my my politics on that. Um, I did write my poems in a way so that it wasn't, the, the, you know, the, like the, uh, you know, where I stood in terms of my politics wasn't like front and center. It was more like a way to invite people to start thinking about these things mm. more deeply without pointing fingers at them and being like, oh, all you people who it was more like food are, for are, thought. Are, exactly. Yeah. But with a little with a little sting, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with a little it can't it can't be totally innocuous, you know, right. You know, there's with some urgency. You OK. Know? Um, but, um, you know, did I feel pressure? Um, a little bit, you know, a little bit because you want to. You, 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 you won't, because it's not just about you anymore. Mm. You know, it's about, it's about the other artists in the community and trying to give them a voice. It's about, it's about like really like opening your, 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 your heart and your, and your attention and your mind to what is actually going on in your, in your local environment and, and saying something that you think is going to, be part of the solution, you know? And um, of course there are artists that do that already, you know? But I think there's a difference between that being your calling as an artist in doing that and then being in a position where where you are, you know, shoulder to shoulder with, with you know, um, authority figures, you know, in local politics. And while you're not necessarily at the decision-making table, 
you're there and you have a chance to to speak and so you you ha- you know you do feel some pressure to you know to 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 say what you think is important to say while at the same time not like alienating anybody right i'm really big on trying not to alienate mm. people i think that right now we live in a time where our language um, and the way that we debate and argue has become so divisive and so absolutist. And why do you think that so, is? Do, do you feel like people are being overly sensitive, or do you feel like people are, are are putting their walls too high when it comes to communication of expressing opinions? I think that's a really good question, right? And and the truth is that if I, if I could answer that. Once like, in a while, we have I good questions like right here. I would be a genius, you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's the million-dollar question, you know, why, you know, if, if if we agree that we, and I think a lot of people agree that, we, that we, I mean, you look at the comment section of anything on the internet, yeah. and it is like vitriol and violence and hatred on both sides, you know what I mean? Like, like, and like the people, there's like, whether it's right or left or whatever, it's like, the, everything has become so binary, right? It, and so and so, like I said, divisive. And I think that part of it, I think part of it is the, is the is the form is the uh, is the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Part of it is the um, Are you referring to the internet, the format. Yeah, the internet, and yeah, but like 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 is comments it, it, and messaging and uh-huh. like like the, the the form. Okay, let me put it this way. Have you ever gotten a really... Has someone who doesn't like you ever written you like a really just scathing letter? Like a snail mail letter? I, I did get a, a scathing email from an ex. Um, <laughs> but uh, I can't think of any others. Um, once the, the, There was someone I knew once um, who... Uh, ooh, did we cut out? Are we good? Yeah, we're good. Oh, um, There was someone I knew once a long time ago who we had a disagreement and he wrote me a letter right this is back like in the 80s right he wrote me a, he wrote me a letter that just like it's just everything he didn't like about Can, what i was saying or doing what's the context of this disagreement uh, it was a family thing okay. <laughs> i don't want to go too into it but um it was it was a family thing and this person felt that i had that i had disrespected someone in the family oh, right shit. and yeah. so and so they and so they wrote me this long letter and what was you know and like all like all of these things that they don't like about me that they don't like about other people in my family who I was kind of like defending you know and and um, I realized I didn't realize it at the time but this person had every opportunity to speak to me face to face and they and they didn't and they and they the things in that letter they would they had never said anything like that to me face to face and i don't think they ever would there was something about the letter that provided like a this cordoned off kind of safe space for them where they were able to um and i know that safe space is like a loaded term now that kind of means its own thing but it created a a space like a liminal space where they were able to like just hurl any insult at me and attack me in any way without without having to worry about my reaction 
Right. Or what I might say. You or, know? or not understand the gravity of the situation. Yeah, and it was just and I and, and I think that that um and, and of course I wasn't able to respond right away, right? Because it's a letter. So if I want to respond, I have to like write a letter back, which I ended up doing. And and actually not being able to respond right away was I think healthy for me. Um, I was I was a kid. I was like I was like thirteen years old or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, thirteen years old. Angus are sending letters. This is before yeah. email. This yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. You, you had to actually buy stamps. Take the time to go to 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 the postal office. Put it in there. So so I had to sit with that criticism. Ah. I had to sit with it, and I and it and it had to churn inside me, you know, and you know. I mean, I could see it being a very damaging thing, but I think that it was good for me. Yeah. I think it was good for me to to be like, well, my first reaction, of course, was like, well, F this person. You know what I mean? You I don't, cuss you, by I the don't way. fuck this person, right? <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, you know, like, you know, you're wrong for this reason and that reason. I'm blah, 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 blah. And in my mind, right? I'm yeah. like, just like spewing the hate back at them because that's, that's your normal default lizard brain reaction to something like that, which is like, eh, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. Right. But then a day goes by, and then two days goes by, and then three days goes by, and you're buying the stamps, and you're sitting down at the desk, and you're writing the letter back. And I realize, and my letter back was critical, but it wasn't vitriol. I wasn't just spewing hatred. I had to sit and think. And there were some things where I'm like, you know what? Maybe I did make a mistake. Maybe I do have issues, right, that I need to think about and I need to work on, you know, and maybe and, and, and I was sorry for some of the things that I had said in the past and blah, 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 blah. Right. In other words, the form, the letter writing, right, it caused us to, well, on the one hand, it distanced him from me so that he didn't have to worry about about anything that I might hurl back at him immediately, which is like. So it did that, but then, but then it also like it, it it necessitated this this sort of timeout moment where you have to if you're going to engage and write back, you have to sit and think before you do so. The internet doesn't do that, right? The right. internet doesn't do that for us at all. And so what I think ends up happening is it is things like Facebook and Twitter. They they um they reward us for impulsively using our our immediate reaction our immediate gut reaction right and so the the the, the sort of lizard brain reactionary part of us is the one that we that, that to, so often is what is captured online and once it's captured online and this is something else about the internet that doesn't exist with it, person-to-person contact, it is indelible, right? That thing that you spewed out in a moment of hateful passion is like there in black and white, saved in the cloud, and anyone can look at it forever, you know? And it's like, that's not, we weren't, that's not how we were trained to communicate. You know what I mean? Like, the, 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 that's not how how we communicate in our daily lives. Right. Right. Like, if, like, if anything, we change. You know, we say one thing a couple of years ago, but over time, we change opinion. 
And, 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 there's yeah. a, and there's many times where people have been crucified in the media. I'd be like, oh, in 2008, he tweeted this or whatever. Well, it's like, yeah. Well, yeah. it's like a, a lot happens in these years and a lot of opinions can be changed and, and, and personalities, you know what I'm saying? So I, I'm, I'm totally getting what you're trying to tell me. It's just, yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's like, it like, it, it's like the worst combination. It's the, it's a combination of on one hand, Twitter, social media, Facebook, like all these things. On the one hand, they encourage you to blurt out exactly what's on your mind in the heat of the moment and at the same time and the other part of it is that 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 then lasts forever you know whereas like a, whereas like a letter is it, it's 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 indelible it's there in black and white it's concrete but you had to think before you before you sent it mm. you know and conversation is yeah, you can blurt out whatever you want and maybe it's in the heat of passion and it's not exactly what you think, but it doesn't last forever. Mm. It's just you send it out and it's and it's like it's 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 provisional. Right. You know? Um you know, the author E.M. Forrester said something that I love. He said, um, uh, how do I know what I think until I see what I have said? How do I know what I think until I see what I've said? And that's that's something that's always stuck with me, like as a writer, but just as a person, just as a thinker, you know, um, it's this I and what I take from that is that is that my 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 ideas are kind of provisional, you know, they shouldn't be taken as, as by the way, we're recording. Okay, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just the headphones. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, they shouldn't be necessarily taken as gospel because. Because I don't know what I'm, I he's like you have to, you have to say something. You have to put something down. You have to put something in the world before you really understand what your ideas are. It's like, it's like you have to see it and then evaluate it before you kind of really understand what what you're talking about. I think. And it's a very beautiful way the the way. In writing, especially especially when I write, I write I write out what's impulsively there, mm-hmm. and then the process of editing is you really reflect on what you just wrote, and you reflect mm-hmm. about what mm-hmm. you, what you're trying to convey, mm-hmm. and that's where a proper editing process comes in. And we're like, all right, maybe I should cut this out, maybe I should add more here. Absolutely. And I think that's something again going back to the internet. It's like it, it's hard to do that. It's hard to to really or not not just you know edit what you already put out there, yeah, but to take it back. Editing is huge. Um, I whenever someone asks me, I do a lot of uh, youth arts education, um, uh, digital media stuff, but also you know, of course, creative writing, poetry stuff too. And um, whenever anyone asks me, uh, you know, oh, do you edit? Um, I I always tell them the truth, which is which is yes, definitely. I edit everything. Is it hard I, to believe I, I, people I, don't edit? Like, it's hard. Yeah, it's a little bit weird for me when someone's like. Oh, do you ever edit your poems? And I'm like, uh, what do you mean? There's no such thing as a poem. That's not a- I mean, I get it. You know, it's like there's a tradition of like first thought. Allen Ginsberg was into this like first thought is best thought sort of thing, and and that's that's cool. But I but I think that I think I'm in the E.M. Forrester camp. I think I'm like that makes two of us. Like, um, how do I know what I think until I see what I've said? I think that. You need to, I like I, I look at it like uh, a little metaphor I like to use is that like as a as a as a writer, um, I'm like a sculptor. 
right? It's like the sculptor doesn't know what they're going to sculpt until they see the block of wood, right? Or until they see the rock. And then they can be like, oh, okay, well, that rock is kind of shaped like this. And so if I'm going to make a person out of that, then they need to be like kind of laying down and they need to be wearing a tunic or, you know, like whatever. Because right. they can kind of see it in the thing itself, right? Uh-huh. Um, as a writer, we don't we don't have that. So the way I the way I look at my first draft is I'm just producing a rock. I'm just producing a block of wood, a canvas. Yeah. And then and then I'm going to and then I'm going to step away and then look at that block of wood and be like, "Okay, what is it? What's its shape? What does it look like? What is it what is it trying to be?" You know? Um and then and then I and then I sort of go with that. Mm. Um and so, yeah, I I I think that that it's healthy um to for your initial thoughts for for you for, for for people to look at their initial thoughts as being kind of provisional like i'm gonna think out loud i'm gonna say some things i'm gonna write some things down but don't don't quote me yet <laughs> you know wait and like like i think people need some time to develop ideas because developing ideas is not easy it takes it requires something of us that's very difficult for us to do which is to be self-critical you know and um and i think that that um that that right now like the social media and the internet and the way that people are engaging in that way is is not they're not engaging in that way it's very impulsive and then it's like what you did on impulse well guess what that's what you think forever you're throwing the rocks instead of shaping the rocks yeah yeah it's like you're just (laughs) picking up rocks and throwing them and trying to make a sculpture and it's like no Um, yeah, uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. I like to get to get into uh, your early uh, stuff. Uh, pretty much, at what age did did writing really become part of of what you do? And what what was your first form of writing that that you've been exposed to? Um, so, I started writing in high school um, as a way to cope with and process unrequited love, ah. which I had a lot of through high know? school. What high school did you yeah. go to? I went to Lee. Lee Lee High, uh, uh, like Los Carlos Amadén. It's um, okay. Yeah, um, so I went to Lee, um, just down the way from Union Middle School, which I went to Union Middle School, uh, and th- so I started writing in high school. You know, nothing, nothing fancy, unrequited love, teen angst. You know, dealing with. And were you writing stories or you writing poems? Poems, poems, poems. So, so, w- so what attracted you to writing poems? Why use poems oh, to express God. this unrequited love? You know, I think that it was like, um, I really liked music, but uh, I wasn't a musician. What kind of music were you and, listening to? Oh, I was like, I was listening to like, like, oh, let me ask Weezer you this. and right. U2 and like, like a lot of, um, kind of rock and indie rock and like, uh, Mazzy Star, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like a bleeding heart, you know, like fade into you. It's baby. Classic, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, um, but um, but you know, but then I also like uh, read poems in school. Um, was funny is that is that poetry was like my sort of mode of expression. I think it was also kind of uh, convenient. Like I could I could sit down, I could get something out, finish, have it be done, walk away, do something else. Hmm. You know. Um, it takes whereas like writing like stories or novels you know what I mean is like is like you have to like really like dig and dig and dig and dig and dig whereas poetry you dig too 
but it's like you 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 dig deep in one place and then it's, it's like a novel is like excavating like a whole city block and a poem is like drilling down to the center of the earth and then drilling back out you know it's like and then it's done which may be um, an ideal writing form for teenagers uh, I th- it was for me yeah. it was for me but what I read was sci-fi like my what got me interested in literature in the first place was science fiction is there a book or author that dune. speaks to you dune, Yo, dune. oh dune. classic dune is probably is classic film too man oh man uh, dune is one of the first books that I read like for pleasure yeah just for fun I had an uncle who was really into sci-fi and he like when I was growing up, he was like, "You gotta read Dune. You gotta read Dune." You know, like when when he first started to see that I was kind of a reader, uh-huh. he's like, "Read Dune, read Dune." I finally did, and it was like mind blowing. I usually, oh my god, you mean this much stuff happens? <laughs> like, oh my god, it was so in depth, right? And so detailed. It was like it was it was like like I think of Dune as like as like Dune is to you know starships and laser beam sci-fi what um lord of the rings is to swords and sorcery Mm. you know it's like it's that same level of level of depth and detail that but just in in it with a different you know whole different world whole different style um and i love lord of the rings too but um yeah i was a novel reader but a but a poetry writer and i still kind of am i mean i read poems but, man, I love, I, I really do love fiction. And I, and I love film, too. Yeah. But, but so, high school, you're, you're, you're making these poetry. But what really made you go like, okay, I could really make this almost a career move or a career move? Um, I started reading it. I started reading it out loud. Um, uh, slam poetry kind of uh, became a thing and cropped up in in uh, in San Jose but but even before that there were open mics like th- there was slam but then but then there was because of slam there was just kind of like m- like more sort of buzz and like energy around poetry so that so that open mics sort of had some stole some of that thunder you know uh, in a good way mm-hmm. and um, and so like open mics were like well attended like you would go to your average open mic at a coffee shop um cafe babylon uh on on first street's no longer there but that's where like there a really successful open mic was and um uh i had a bunch of friends who participated in it um mike mcgee uh, th- that's sort of where mike mcgee sort of and i like uh sort of became sort of like artistic sort of um, not I won't say collaborators because it's not like we wrote together, but like artistic cohorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and our good friend Jeff Trenchard, who's out in New York now, um, great poet, also came out of that scene. And um, you would go to a coffee shop on open mic night, Thursday night, whatever it was, and it's like there would be like eighty people, like sitting there drinking their coffee, like in like enraptured, you know, like listening to the poetry and and it's that 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 was a big deal you know for to see that there were that many people interested in something that i was doing Mm -hmm. and were giving me really good response to it like i would go up there and read and you can kind of tell when people are like okay okay thank you very much clap clap um and when people are like 
oh my god wow you know and they like really applaud and I started getting some good reactions from people you know and of course it just felt good you know <laughs> it was like ego boosting right right and so I just it kind of just went went from there um and I and I and I just I just kept writing it wasn't even so much that I said to myself ooh this is like a career move or or something I just I just needed it I just needed to write and I just kept doing it and kept doing it and doing it and doing it and um did it in school and I eventually went to to college to um University of Santa Cruz and I um I majored in creative writing there what was funny is that I was accepted into the fiction writing concentration not the poetry concentration <laughs> so like my whole life right I've like it's like what I end up studying is different from what I spend most of my time writing is different from what I spend most of my time watching or reading. Yeah. It's like I'm reading sci-fi, I'm studying short story composition, and I'm writing mostly poetry. You know, it's like, but, and so and so I've, I, I think I'm very like cross-genre. Like I've I've written some short fiction um, I've, I've written like a ton of like kind of academic essay stuff. Um and um and some screenplay too. Oh wow! Yeah, I think so, it's great. because yeah. I, 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 I feel like I relate to that. I'm involved, although I'm a filmmaker and I study that. I'm very much you know into poetry or into uh, music, uh -huh. producing music or just writing music. But and I feel like in some ways they all feed into each other. The inspirations I get in these different uh, genres or this different stuff and and writing really connects each other in the way. Uh, like I hardly ever have writer's block anymore because mm. of it because it's like all right I can't really work on this I work on this instead and somehow that draws me back to writing yeah it's like when it's like if you feel burnt out with one that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be burnt out with another mm -hmm. especially if it's a whole different um different craft different form you yeah. know like film right it's like it's like if you're burnt out on writing well can you, there's nothing better for you than to go outside, take a walk, and take some pictures. Yeah, you know, and um, that's one of my favorite pastimes. I like sometimes photography. I'll just, yeah, sometimes I'll just I'll just like hop on the Caltrain and just go go up into San Francisco and just walk around and like shoot pictures, shoot a little bit of video. I do that in San Jose too, actually. And like they, sometimes I'll just walk and like just downtown San Jose, boom, 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 take it, pictures. It, is there certain things that they stands out when you take pictures or people yeah people on the street you know i'm the same way uh, like, like for me a, lo a lot of my photography is just capturing people mm -hmm. and not, not exactly them posing just them doing something oh yeah i i never i try to never have people pose yeah because when you when, when 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 you when you have someone pose you you, you destroy you destroy this moment and you make oh. it about Interesting. You, like you make the moment about you. You make the moment about the picture. Whereas I think that the best photography is kind of voyeuristic. Yeah. You know, definitely. it's like it's like you you captured this thing that that it's like you're peeping through a keyhole. You know, it's like oh, this was like a like an intimate moment that right. that, that 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 this person was sort of having. You no, know, no, I mean not like you're capturing. I'm not not like you're capturing people. You know, like in a compromising or embarrassing situation. It's more just like. That person is looking at, looking at the sky, thinking to themselves, mm -hmm. and and they didn't know someone was looking, and in that moment they are like more genuine 
right, right. than they would be if you had been like, hey, say cheese, you know, like um, there's actually a term for that photographer used called grab and grin. You familiar? You ever heard this? <laughs> no, what grab is that? <laughs> They're like, don't don't give me a grab and grin photograph. Grab and grin is like if you if if you have a group of people, yeah, and and you say, okay, we're gonna take a picture. What do they do? They grab the other person and they and they smile, right? They like, you know, and it's they they suddenly they suddenly become like this artificial thing moment in life you know what i mean right. like they certainly become like this kodak moment commercial well, whereas like they look better the, the best pictures are always when 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 people don't know that you just shot the picture yeah man you know? I, i've been philosophizing that it's something in my next short film i'm kind of you know kind of convey it, where when you take a photograph essentially what you're doing is that pretty much it's all lights you're capturing a light mm-hmm. an image mm-hmm and you're f- literally, in some ways, literally freezing a time and space yes. in the universe and capturing this specific milli millisecond, this image, yeah, of time, yeah. And when when he, when a lot of us are given that power, they much rather use it to pose, to grab and grin, and make themselves look good somehow, or to stage, yeah, uh, th- yeah. this moment in life, instead of like, oh yeah, just take a picture how I am, like I don't care. Mm-hmm. No, we're very conscious of that. We're like, but even if even if someone says, "Hey, I'm going to take your picture right now," and even if you say, "Okay, whatever, I don't care," then you're still there's still something artificial about that. Like, or at least there's that there, there, then there's that awareness of, "Okay, well now I'm going to do nothing." <laughs> Whereas before it was like you weren't doing something, but you weren't doing nothing. You were being you. Yeah. You were doing your thing. You know, right. and and it's that. That 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 that's the thing you want to capture, right? This mm-hmm. genuine, real moment. It's like that's what that's what a good actor does, right? A good actor or a good subject, right, is like able to to. I don't want to say forget the cameras there because I don't know if that's necessarily what they're doing, but it's more like they are they are um, making you forget the cameras there, right. You know, yeah. they're making you forget that you're watching a movie. They and you feel like you're just you're just checking out this human being, mm-hmm. going through this this story. You know, like um, trying to obtain this whatever it is that they that they want. You know, and that's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas and we've all seen video of people who are so self conscious of the fact they're being filmed. And it's the most painful thing in the world to watch, right? right? Like someone who is being filmed and who is really self-conscious about it, and yet they have to still try to give you an instructional video on how to use the rowing machine or whatever. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like um, it's it's terrible, and it's like it's you're embarrassed for them um, to watch. There's that. It's like vergüenza llena. Are you familiar with that? No. That term. It's in Spanish. It's like. In Spanish, there's there's a word for for being embarrassed on behalf of someone else, vergüenza ajena, and uh, and it's 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 that that feeling of like oh this is so painful I feel so bad for this person I feel embarrassed for them <laughs> that's what it's like when you watch someone who's who's overly acting who's yeah or overly acting or uncomfortable with being filmed which is most people right. um, but a good actor. Or a good subject is able to just be, 
just be just be just be human you know yeah yeah um and i and i i love that about I, I i mean i love that about film yeah you know and 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 i and i think good photography finds a way to tap into that same thing even even without professional models or professional actors right mm -hmm. and the way that they do that a good photographer does that is what we're talking about right they are voyeuristic they're yeah. like snipers right then they just and they just capture they see the moment and they capture it yeah you get um, nervous like sometimes because sometimes like i get nervous taking pictures of people because like because I, I again i don't want to approach them like hey I can't take a picture so i was like would it be weird if they just looked up and they saw me with the fucking camera pointing at them yeah that's the trick um because because on the one you don't want to be an asshole either you right know? And like, you don't anything like, i'm gonna take a picture i do see photographers do that sort of thing Ugh. like like walking up on the street you know and they, they and they have like a and they have like a like a short lens so like they have to get close you know <laughs> and so they'll just be like snap and right up in someone's face you know and sometimes get out of here do they really yeah, do that oh yeah yeah I, I, I've seen photographers do that I'm already embarrassed and then, and, then, and then but then I look at the pictures and I'm like oh son of a bitch this is like a really good picture <laughs> you know it's like it happens they're able to like freeze that person but it's really in, in, intrusive right right so so it's like I think like a good strategy is you just use kind of a long lens yeah um, and you and, and you can sort of be on the sidelines you can be a little a little bit of a distance away you still got to be like super slick about it right um, um, uh, yeah you ever heard of the the uh, photographer uh, Vivian Meyer uh, yeah wait the, there's that documentary that just came that came out a little while ago right. about her uh, where, where like nobody knew she was a photographer nobody knew uh, she until was she a died and looked into her, her stuff and... no one knew she was a photographer I think she was alive and oh my god what was like the I haven't seen it but I heard about it she was she was shoot. She shot. Uh, don't quote me on this, but I think she was shooting like in the fifties, mm -hmm. and um, she um, she had. I forget what kind of camera she had, but it was the kind where um, you look down into the top of the camera and you're holding the camera low, right. like kind of more in the center of your body, and so it's not necessarily like if you're walking around on the street and people aren't paying attention you can snap 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 away and um they don't necessarily know that you're that you're taking a picture of them so she would do this for years right she would walk on the street take pictures um worked as a nanny and then she died and and even after she died like her pictures didn't come out it wasn't until th they ended up at some kind of art auction or something and some guy bought this trunk of negatives having no idea what they were and it was this beautiful street excuse me beautiful street photography yeah um and uh and that's how she achieved this thing that we're talking about of capturing people so they don't know that they're being captured and in so doing you see like their humanity um you see who they who they really are right and and um, I do that. I, I kind of bite her style a little bit sometimes because I have a I have a, a Panasonic GH4 for your digital video buffs out there. Panasonic GH4 and the screen articulates, so you can open it up and you can you can have the camera low, yeah. but point the screen up at you, right. and then you can have the it just looks like you're checking in up the on center, something. and yeah. it just looks like you're checking your checking your shit you know <laughs> and I and, and but you can be just snapping away and, better strategy yeah. than mine my tactic is to kind of shoot photography like on the side like make it look like I'm not pointing at them I'm putting something next to them yeah and when I get an opportunity for a split second just, just quick aim it at them take a picture and just 
run away. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you need all kinds of you need all kinds of tricks. Another trick is that if you if your DSLR shoots 4K, yeah. you just spray 4K video. <laughs> like you just shoot 4K video of everything, and then like you just take just rip the steals the, yeah. the steals later. Machine gun it, and then later. Yeah. Take it I, out. I, I've seen photographers at like photo shoots, like professional photo shoots with the model. Yeah. And they'll have like. Like a Canon, like 1DC or something, right? Just 4K monster DSLR. Yeah. And they'll just like 4K video. And they'll just shoot video of the model. And then the model will do their thing, you know? And and then they go in and they just rip the stills later, you know? <laughs> Like, that's just and so yeah. it's pretty smart, I guess. Uh, you capture everything literally. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating yeah. on it. I think that there's a certain elegance to, you know, yeah. like finding your shot and just snapping that. A craftsmanship, almost. Yeah, I think definitely. I think that's where we're going. Well, for. you have to be, you have to be sly and slick. You have to be a mind reader yeah. to be a good photographer in that way. You know, yeah. you have to like be able to foretell the future a little bit. Like, okay, he's gonna turn, 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 turn. <laughs> Bam! Click. All right, and then you're out. And you have to be kind of a ninja too, right? right. You have to be like, click. Oh, look at my watch. Oh, I gotta go. Oh, oh wait, yeah. wait, someone's calling me. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, how's your experience in filmmaking? Um, it's uh, so what I've been doing lately is uh, video poetry, uh, like we talked about earlier. Um, I got that grant from San Jose Downtown Association to produce some video poems. Um, I was able to get a few animators um, and other filmmakers on board and so everyone kind of did their own little project and I did my own little project but I sort of collaborated a little bit mm -hmm. you know in some of the others and um, it's um, you know it's great it's like I've been I've been you know learning a lot you know playing around with like like animation techniques and special effects and dabbling in After Effects a little bit and getting oh. into like some like that stuff is some like title animation stuff and just like I mean film is like especially now yeah with how accessible um, the tools are you know for I mean not dirt cheap but rel but you know it's like in the realm of possibility right mm -hmm. where you can shoot where you can have quality video. And um, even and, your smartphone, you know, man. and like and like and like, you know, a decent computer, you know, can run Adobe Premiere like just fine, and you can you can make a movie, and it's it, it you know it's great. I mean, I think that I think that making a movie, I kind of look at it like I look at at, at writing in the sense of you, you you know you you shoot and you look at what you shot and you have to ask yourself what story is this trying to tell. Like what is here, you know, mm. and it's like it's a, it's similar to, to the to the enforcer thing, right? Do How you, do I know what I think until I see what I've said? Do you distinguish between movies and films? Do you, do you, do you feel there's a distinction between those two? I don't. Uh, what would what would it be? Do you like for me? Yeah, I do in some way. Like how so? Like I I, I think, uh, when you're watching something, a movie is something you're watching. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's like you've made a movie, which is great. But for me, a film, it's you're actually storytelling, meaning that you're actually trying to say something with with your with your film. So the form the form is the same, but there's yeah. just it's in it's in the content, it's in the the intent. Yeah. Of the thing. And, 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 do you think that could? I'm not sure if you even agree with it, but like maybe that could be in other sorts of, of art as well, or in writing. Well, I definitely think that there's a big that there are that there's a huge spectrum in terms of content and intent 
and you know like how how much an artist thinks about you know what they're trying to say or convey or do um, with, with their work some people don't think about it at all some people think about it too much yep. <laughs> uh, some people think about it a lot but are they're really good at it um, and but I think that the, the trick is where is the line when is something deserving of the of being a film and when is it just a movie or is it is one better than the other sometimes people sometimes people kind of just point the camera at something and magically it's ends up being incredible you know maybe they didn't think that hard about about what it about what it was but it just i don't know the, the magic happened mm -hmm. they got lucky is that a film um you know because it's it's really powerful and it's really like is is emotive for us in in a you know significant way um, or or is it not because they didn't put a lot of thought into it? So it's like I just think like I think I understand the distinction you're talking about, but I just don't I don't even know how to begin to find the line, mm. you know. But if you had to choose a line out of a million lines, and I, and honestly, dude, mm -hmm. I, I think mm -hmm. it all depends on the, everyone's experience. I, I think it, there's different definitions of where you, I draw the line. You actually use the line somewhere else. Yeah, I, I just like to hear from your perspective on it. Well, I definitely think that there is that there is a difference between um, the sort of Hollywood formula mm -hmm. um, and and things that that deliberately sort of um, loosen the constraints of the Hollywood formula, if not ignore it at all. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and of course, that Hollywood formula is like traditional three act structure that 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 lovely Aristotelian bell curvy kind of arc that we learn about in high school um, and uh, you know like you know um, the inciting incident uh, leads the, introduces the central conflict right. and and uh, a beat and, sheet and there's much. and yeah. there's yeah and there's <laughs> and there's rising action as the as the protagonist you know tries to obtain what it is they want to obtain and they encounter resistance and then reaches the highest point of tension and then and then it, the tension dissipates, and then there's falling action, and then a resolution. You, you just right, condense a screenwriting class into like yeah. five seconds. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> um, which um, there's lots of good movies that do that. Yeah, I'm not saying that the, that that is a bad thing at all. The, I, there are films that do that that I adore, that I love, and that I think are absolutely brilliant. You know, um, I mean Hitchcock does that. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with Hitchcock. Almost to a science, really. <laughs> you know, yeah, definitely. Um, Orson Welles does that, and there ain't nothing wrong with Orson Welles, right? right. So it's fine. Um, but it's like, I think that there's... But then when you see a movie that, that relaxes that, that loosens that, that, that isn't tied to that so so sort of um, rigidly, then you, have, then you have a different kind of movie. You have a different kind of film, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's it just feels very different i mean it, in in generally the those kinds of films feel slow right because one thing that that aristotelian arc does for us is it is it moves things along right it, it's like it's you get this you get this visceral sense of things speeding up right mm -hmm. but not every story is like that and there are great stories that 
that that that don't do that or that do that but without but with without being so formulaic about it mm-hmm. you know and life is like that you know i mean sometimes life is like the hollywood movie where you have this big dramatic thing that you leads up to that you lead up to and that happens right right but most of the time life is like life is a slow burn of a drama isn't it yeah it you is. know it's like kind of painstaking kind of like meticulous kind of like 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 seemingly the same thing over and over and over again but it's not the same it's not exactly the same thing over again it's like it's like the same the same with tiny variations and tiny variations and then most of the revelations or the big events they happen as like this as like this almost like this chaos theory gradually playing out until one day you're like oh wait i have totally changed Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) i'm like a totally different person than i was four years ago but nothing huge happened it's just that's life slow burn you know you you go through bad moments and good moments yeah yeah Yeah, definitely fascinating stuff man and overall uh what are you up to now what i'm up to now um so uh, i'm a teacher um, I teach I, I teach English over at Ohlone College in Fremont. I oh, love it. I, I love teaching. I get nervous on that drive, man. There's a steep hill. And it's like... <laughs> well, uh, I work out, so I can... I can... Oh, wait, on the drive, you mean? Um, um... Well, the walk, too. You know? Oh, yeah, because it's like classes. the campus is on a hill. That's what's good about Ohlone College. It's like if you go there, it's like also joining a gym. Right. You'll you know? lose weight Cause eventually. You know? Yeah, because you just like walk out the hill every day. <laughs> but um, I love teaching. Um, I really do. I really enjoy... I enjoy stuff like this, like what we're doing now, right? You're you're sort of sitting with other people face to face, and you're engaging with them, and you're and you're 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 trying to get at something. How am I doing so far? You know, you're doing great. You're Good. doing great. <laughs> uh, I hope I'm doing all right. I have um, I have David Perez's uh, endorsement. Yeah, but um, you know, and I get to do that with my students, right? We and um, I happen to enjoy the thing that I'm teaching. I'm teaching English. I'm teaching composition. You know how to like put your thoughts on paper. How, how do you approach teaching? Because um, that itself <clears throat> opens a whole different world of, of of looking into life in a sense yeah. that you are directly influencing a young person or a person's uh, learning curve. Yeah, um, and um, and I I don't take that lightly. The, you know, that's something that I take really seriously. Um, and I think that, in a nutshell, how I approach teaching is I am student focused I try and I mean it sounds really easy to say well it's like of course you're student focused you're a teacher teaching students right but I think there's a way and people I think in in professional educators I think might be nodding their heads when they hear this there is a way to teach that is that is administration focused or that is teacher focused you know as opposed to student focused and I think what I mean by student focused is I I'm always trying to assess not only their skill level but their their learning style um I pay attention to I try to make sure that what I'm saying is not only like factually correct and relevant to the subject matter but that it's a lesson that they can hear a lesson that will speak to them, a lesson that will not only give them the information that they need to be successful in the course, but that will 
help them understand why they would want to learn this thing in the first place apart from getting an A mm -hmm. you know and like being in like having a piece of paper that says they got an A um, I, I, I try to help them see why they would want to to articulate themselves with eloquence what benefit would that be for them you know and I find that when I'm able to, to do that, then they, then it's it's much easier for them to get an A. It's always easier to do well at something when you enjoy doing it, right? When you course, like yeah. doing it. Yeah. That's and and that's something that that that's in in that sense being an artist has helped me I think understand teaching better, because as an artist I, I mean I. You don't get better at an art form unless you do it a whole bunch, assess yourself, be honest with yourself, go back to the drawing board, do it again, do it again, do it again, and learn, learn, learn each time, you know, and study others, watch others, read others, listen to others, you know, and and try to try to absorb what they're saying without copying them. Mm-hmm. You know, and like appreciate what they're doing and learn from it without repeating it yourself, you know, but you let it improve, you let it sort of deepen your understanding of something. And that, and you don't, that is so much work that the only way you can do it is if it doesn't feel like work to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what I think a good artist is. And I think that's what a good teacher is. Someone who, and, and, and what a good student is, mm. right? It's like a good student is someone who is able to become invested in what they're learning so much that it doesn't feel like work. You know, they, there's a part of them that does enjoy it. Of course, it's hard. I'm not trying to be all unicorns and rainbows. Of course, you know, learning something, you know, whether you're a college student or whether you're an artist or whatever. Yes, it's going to. Yes, it's hard. It's not going to be easy. But there's a part of you that sort of enjoys the pain, <laughs> you know, right. a part of you that's like down, you know, and that's the trick. It's, how it's to... like when you're working out, you know, it's right. like it's like sometimes people who work out who listen to this, you know, it's like, yeah, you're at the gym and it's like you're what you're lifting or you're running or you're if you do a martial art or whatever. It's like, yeah, it sucks and it's painful. But there's a part of you that's like, yeah, you know, like this is badass, you know, and it's like you a good student has that, mm -hmm. you know, and so I, I, I try to. I try to help my students tap into that, you know. How do you approach a student who's not really tapping into that? Um, well, I mean, okay, the first thing that I that, that I do is, is is I level with them, and I understand that English is not everyone's thing, and so I try to first off just be really clear about like, okay, if you want to just know what you need to do in this class to 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 succeed and to get a decent grade, here it is. A, B, C, D. Here are the points. Here's, you know, here's, here's this, here's your path. Here's what you have to do. Here's the work that you need to do. And I just try to be very, very clear. That way, even if it's not their thing, they're just, they're not confused and floundering. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if all they want to do is put in the minimum that they need in order to pass the class, they can do that. They can, it's fine. And they can do that without judgment from me, you know, um, um, but, but I, but what I do do is I don't give up. I, um, I don't, I continue to encourage them. 
I continue to sort of be a cheerleader for for the discipline that I'm teaching, you know, which is English. Um, and and um, you know, there are people that don't always respond to it. Um, you know, my my subject is not is not everyone's cup of tea, and it doesn't have to be. That's fine. That's you know, that's okay. Some ways yeah. it relates back to everything else, writing, yeah. poetry. Mm-hmm. So your poetry may not cater to everyone, but what's important that it's out there. Yeah, and if it did, there wouldn't there be something wrong? <laughs> Definitely. Wouldn't that like, wouldn't that be a little bit weird? If everyone liked it. If everyone loves what you say, it kind of kills you. It for have me. a problem. Yeah. yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, people look at some of my short films. They're like, oh, I love it, and after like the the tenth person, I'm like, I fucking hate this video. Like, why did I even make it? If, yeah. if everybody likes it, why did I even fucking make it? Like, yeah. you know, I, get, I get to that level of, like, self-criticism. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, especially with art, right? Art should, it should be uncomfortable for some people, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, I mean, don't we, don't we sort of, isn't there a certain kind of discomfort that we kind of enjoy? Like, we, like, hor- like a good horror movie? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like we, like like we like feeling uncomfortable or or when like a movie even like a movie that like kind of calls out a certain i don't know problem in our world certain like you know social inequity or whatever and if you're on the sort of privileged end of that inequity like it's like oh it kind of calls you out and it's like but but if you're I think that if you're a consider, if like if you're a considerate person, um, or I don't want to put a label on like it. If you are, I think that it's possible for a piece of art to make you uncomfortable because it's kind of calling out something that you might have an issue with, like that that might be an issue for you. Um, then, but that even that can be in a way pleasurable. Yeah. Because it's pleasurable, I think, to be to be edified. It's pleasurable to be awoken to new things about yourself. Like it's like it's weird. It's like that it's like that weightlifting discomfort. It's like it's uncomfortable, but you know that like this is good for me. There's growth in this. There's, there's growth in this, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, like like some of my like one of my favorite filmmakers is Pedro Almodovar. Oh, I love that guy. Right, fucking Pedro man. Almodovar. Right, um, and I, like, I have almost all his films. Yeah. yeah. Um. So one of my favorite movies of all time is Talk to Her. Ablaconea. Fucking hey, do I have it over there? Uh, right there. I'm seeing it right now. If you're listening and you haven't seen Talk to Her, I know Jorge's podcast is amazing, but turn it off. <laughs> Go watch, talk to her, and then come back. Um, but, um, but, like that movie, I feel like calls out a lot of issues, baggage, whatever you want to call it, that uh, that straight men might have. Mm. You know, um, and I think it's a movie about straight men and about relationships, and about relationships, and how a lot of us are in relationships, and and how women are treated and how women are silenced because it quite literally is dealing with right. like two main female characters are are in a coma. literally silent women right and so and so and it's about all it's about how the men deal with that and in a way take advantage of that obviously i don't want no spoilers but but that the, their their incapacity mm-hmm. is 
brings up issues and you know there's characters that take advantage of that and um it's that movie made me so uncomfortable but i knew when i was watching it that this this movie was made for me it was made to to show me something about myself you know yeah and um and i think that 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 art is that's what art should do you know yeah Uh, on that note so we reached the one hour mark so we we usually close down shop uh, shop right now. Uh, last question I want to ask you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you were to see yourself back in high school when you're writing this poetry about unrequited love, mm-hmm. what's something piece of advice that you would give yourself? Keep going. Just keep going. Just keep writing. Keep writing and um, and just. Try to be as honest with yourself as you can possibly be. All right. And watch Talk to Her. <laughs> watch it now. I came to it kind of late. I'd be like, put down the pen, go watch Talk to Her, then write. <laughs> oh, All right. And if yeah. listeners want to check out your, your stuff, where can they check them out at? Yeah. So my website um, is thedavidperez.com. The davidprez.com um, there's uh, some video of, of myself doing uh, some spoken word poetry there's also um, a speech that I gave at my um, when I was inaugurated as poet laureate that's just that's just me talking about what I think is the value of creative writing the value of poetry um, it's kind of breaking that down a lot of people tell me that they that they enjoyed watching that video so that's up on there um, I got some poems on there. I'm, I'm probably going to be revamping it soon, giving it a new look and feel. But the content, you know, is there. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to check that out, that'd be cool. Had a great. Doc. Oh, there's also a link to my book, which is, uh, which is called "Love in the Time of Robot Apocalypse." Wow, what's that about? Yeah, well, that's that's my book of poetry. Oh, okay. Yeah, or it's actually "Love in a Time of Robot Apocalypse." I, I, I thought it was like like Dune inspired novel or something. No, no, it's in my poetry, "Love in a Time of Robot Apocalypse." All right, David, yeah. I had a great talk. I'm happy you came. Yeah, I'm. Uh, thanks uh, so much for having me. Are we good though. Like I don't know. We, we, everything's good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. All right. Yeah.